Heavenly Father, we thank you for the Word of God. And we thank you for the Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit, which has given us the Word of God to believe. And the power to believe it. And Heavenly Father, I pray that even now, Lord, you will quicken our mind and our heart to receive the things that you want us to receive. And particularly, Lord, this morning, I pray for the person whose heart is empty, that you would fill it. The heart that's hurting, that you would provide relief. The guilty heart, Lord, that there would be redemption. And the broken heart, Lord, that you would mend. And the misguided heart, Lord, that you would point in the right direction. In Jesus' name, amen. The work of the Holy Spirit, part two. John chapter 16, beginning in verse 12, it says, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. However, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority. But whatever he hears, he will speak and he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. All things that the father has are mine. Therefore, I said that he will take of mine and declare it. To you, we've been worked, we've been looking at the ministry of the Holy Spirit and Jesus has given his disciples several revelations about the work of the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit's role in the life of the human being. For the unbeliever, the Holy Spirit brings about regeneration in John chapter three, verses five and six. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. Jesus said, you must be born from on high. And so we see the ministry of regeneration, but we also see the ministry of reminding. The Holy Spirit reminds us of the will and the work of God. As a matter of fact, in John chapter 15, verse 26 it says, but when the helper comes, whom I whom I shall send to you from the father, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the father, he will testify of me. That is, the Holy Spirit will remind them of the work of Jesus and the ministry of Jesus. But there is also the work of reproving. The Holy Spirit's job is to reprove a wicked world. And we learn that in chapter 16, verses 1 through 11. As a matter of fact, the job of the Holy Spirit is, first of all, to reprove a wicked world. And, of course, to reprove the sinner's heart. Remember in verse 8, the word reprove means to bring about a verdict of guilty. It means to convict. No person is in a position to experience regeneration or salvation unless he or she first comes under the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And so Jesus has shared with his disciples about the coming conflict. There is going to be pain and persecution. And we learned that Jesus must 
depart in order for the Holy Spirit to arrive in verse 7. One preacher used to say, Jesus has gone to prepare a place for us and the Holy Spirit has come to prepare us for that place. I like that. Jesus has gone to prepare a place for us and the Holy Spirit has come to prepare us for that place. One of the major works of the Holy Spirit is to bring about belief, not just simply in Jesus, belief in the Bible, belief in the truth, but also to empower the believer to live the Christian life. The Holy Spirit has been called comforter and counselor. In Isaiah chapter 11, verse 2, the Holy Spirit is called the spirit of counsel. And so the Holy Spirit spells out the need for righteousness. And the Holy Spirit tells us about the nearness of judgment. And so Jesus has spoken about the jurisdiction of sin in verse 9. The justification of saints in verse 10. The judgment of sinners in verse 11. And last week I shared with you a quote from Roy Lauren, who happened to be a close friend and companion of Billy Graham. He said, the Holy Spirit is to be to the believer all that Christ was while present with the disciples. We learned that in a very real sense, the Holy Spirit would convict sinners in verses 8 through 10. Condemn Satan in verse 11. And now we look at the Holy Spirit's ministry to counsel the saints in verses 12 and 13. And then to champion the Savior in verses 14 and 15. So we move from the reproving ministry of the Holy Spirit to the revealing ministry of the Holy Spirit in this particular section. Remember, the Holy Spirit has been called comforter and counselor. But now we also learn that the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. Chapter 14, verse 17. Chapter 15, verse 26. Chapter 16 here, verse 13. The Holy Spirit is also called the spirit of prophecy. Revelation chapter 19, verse 10. But also here in chapter 16, verse 13. And so... We see the need for the Holy Spirit's revelation in verse 12. We see the extent of that revelation in verse 13. And then we see the intent of that revelation in verse 14. And so, the Lord Jesus teaches that the work of the Holy Spirit is never divorced from the Word of God and the character of God. He shall testify of me, it says in John 15, 26. He shall glorify me, it says in John chapter 16, verse 14. The reason why all of this becomes important is because there are frauds and there are charlatans. There are false prophets. Frauds, charlatans, and false prophets aren't just simply in the world. You can find them on Christian TV. You can find them on Christian radio. There are people who claim that they are experiencing the Spirit of God or the work of God. 
they'll talk about the evidence of the Holy Spirit. Jonathan Edwards, who's been called the last pilgrim and America's greatest theologian, wrote about the true work of the Holy Spirit in his exposition, not only of this chapter, but in 1 John chapter 4. In brief, Jonathan Edwards says, the work of the Holy Spirit in contrast to the work which is false, he says that the Holy Spirit will, number one, exalt the true Christ. Number two, the Holy Spirit will oppose Satan's interests. Number three, the Holy Spirit will point people to the Scripture. Number four, the Holy Spirit will elevate the truth. And number five, the Holy Spirit will... And the knowledge of the, 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 the Spirit and the work of the Spirit will result in love for God and love for others. And guess what? If the work doesn't exalt the true Christ, if the work doesn't oppose Satan, if the work doesn't elevate Christ, if the work doesn't result in real love for God and real love for each other, rest assured that this is not a work of the Holy Spirit. One preacher used to say loudly, the Holy Spirit will do for the believer what the phone booth did for Clark Kent. Yeah, it made me laugh too. There's an element of truth to it. But in a sense, there's an element in which it's not true. The phone booth didn't turn Clark Kent into Superman. He was Superman all along. And that's the difference. You're a sinner. And the Holy Spirit changes you. The Holy Spirit changes you from the inside out. You see, the Holy Spirit, listen carefully, wrote the Word of God. And part of the purpose of the Holy Spirit isn't simply to communicate the revelation that's found in the Word of God, but it's to bring you to a place where you'll actually believe what it is that you're reading. So listen carefully. The work of the Holy Spirit, in part, isn't simply to communicate the truth about Jesus, the message about Jesus, which is contained in the Word of God. Part of the ministry of the Holy Spirit is to get you to believe that. And so we begin with the counsel of the saints. Look at verse 12. I still have many things to say to you, Jesus says, but you cannot bear them right now. The disciples Remember, had been with Jesus some three years. And in those three years, Jesus had many things to say about the Father, about Himself, about His mission, about His death, about His resurrection, about His ascension, about the future. And we learned that the disciples were numb. They were unable to bear the word in the original language is bastadzo. It meant to bear a burden. And last week when we talked, I, I told you that this is the same word that Jesus used when he talks about bearing the cross. A great teacher doesn't simply teach the truth. But a great teacher teaches the right amount of truth at the right time. I remember the story of a would-be preacher who was 
living in Nebraska and he didn't get to preach all that often. And there was a gigantic snowstorm and there was nothing to do. So people came from miles around to hear the preacher preach. And so he decided that he was going to have a four hour sermon. Don't worry, it's not going to happen to you today. And at the end of the sermon, one of the farmers came up and said, I knew you had a lot of hay, but I didn't know we were going to have to eat it in one setting. Well, that's part of the challenge. The Lord reminds the disciples that they need to know, but yet, clearly, Jesus has told them a lot of things. But the Holy Spirit will expand and explain the things that Jesus has said. Remember, Jesus makes the promise that the Holy Spirit will remind them what Jesus has taught them. And I believe that that promise was in part fulfilled in the publication and the preservation of what you and I call the New Testament, the four Gospels, the book of Acts, the epistles. Clearly, Jesus has spoken about the cross. He's spoken about his resurrection. He's spoken about the ascension before the events transpired. But the disciples haven't grasped the significance of those important events. The disciples were still looking for a social or a political revolutionary leader, as John MacArthur puts it, quote, they simply couldn't grasp the concept of a dying Messiah who would come not to vanquish the Romans, but to conquer sin and death. They still don't understand the concept of what it means to conquer sin and death. And MacArthur goes on and suggests that the further revelation, apart from the power and the presence of the indwelling Holy Spirit, meant that they would be unable to grasp and live out the implications of that revelation. And that's true for some of you. Before I became a Christian, I went to Bible study and I opened up the Bible. I would hear preachers and priests Tell me things from the Bible, but it went in one ear and out the other. It went in the heart and then out of the heart. I know that there are people, even at this very moment, who have no idea what I'm talking about. They hear words, but it's like that Charlie Brown cartoon where you see the teacher or the adult and Charlie Brown speaks or Lucy speaks. And when when the uh, parent speaks or the teacher speaks, it's wah, 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 wah. And now for the first time, the person who wasn't listening now hears. I just heard him say wah, 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 wah. Wow, I understood that. They're unable to grasp and live out the implications of what they're reading. Is it because they're truly not born again? The Bible seems to indicate that unbelievers have a kind of a spiritual blindfold over their minds. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 3, it says, But even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age is blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. People who embrace false religions, people who embrace false beliefs about God and false beliefs about the Bible and false beliefs about salvation, their mind is darkened, blinded. 
they reject the gospel of the glory of Christ. And Jesus clearly anticipates a time when the disciples would need further revelation. And we can also quickly describe that word. The last time we were together, I said that the word revelation means to reveal or disclose that which has previously been hidden. And since the Holy Spirit is God and since the Holy Spirit knows exactly what God knows, this qualifies the Holy Spirit to be the producer of a revelation, the guide to that revelation, and the empowering presence in order to believe that revelation. Remember, revelation is the uncovering or bringing to light that which was previously hidden. Let me just be blunt and simple. Revelation is God's disclosure of himself and his will. It doesn't get more simple than that. Revelation is the disclosure that God gives concerning himself and concerning his will. The scriptures aren't merely the record of revelation. They are the revelation. Now, listen carefully. That means Part of the point of the ministry of the Holy Spirit is to give you an accurate revelation and then give you the ability to believe that revelation. In verse 13, Jesus says, however, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. Does that mean that you're going to finally understand calculus? Does that mean that you're going to finally embrace Planck's theory of time and understand both the mathematical and the philosophical basis for it? Does that mean that now you're going to watch Jeopardy and you can't lose? I don't think that that's what that means. I think what it means is that you are going to be able to understand All the truth about God and his will as it's been received through the Holy Spirit by the word of God. The agent of that revelation is the spirit of truth. And the Bible teaches and Jesus has said that the Holy Spirit would comfort the disciples, convict sinners in verse 10, condemn Satan in verse 11, counsel the saints now in verse 13. In other words, the Holy Spirit counsels, encourages, teaches the believer to grow in Christ and to grow in goodness. The Holy Spirit will not simply provide the message. He'll do that. But the Holy Spirit will also provide the power. The greatest power in all of the universe for you to believe that message. So Jesus says, the Holy Spirit brings the truth. Over and over again, I've told you about that word. The truth. Remember, the truth is that which corresponds to reality. Remember, I've told you that the truth, in order to be true, must be incorrigible. That means not subject to perfection. 
and immutable. That means not subject to change. The truth is always true. It is never not true. It doesn't need more information in order to be more true. The Holy Spirit brings the truth. And it's been my experience that I've only found four things that I can say unequivocally is always true, forever true, never false. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and the four things, all that they say and do. It constitutes the truth. You'll remember Jesus reminds the disciples of the coming of the Holy Spirit. And on the day of Pentecost, the prediction of the coming of the Holy Spirit is fully realized in Acts chapter 2. And it says one of the works of the Holy Spirit. Read it again in verse 13. He will guide you. The Holy Spirit provides guidance. The word translated guide is the Greek word hodogeo. It means in part to lead the way. In the ancient world, it was a picture of a guide, but not just any ordinary guide. It was a guide who conducted a pilgrimage. Next year, hopefully, we'll have an opportunity to go to Israel once again. This will be my ninth trip to Israel. And because it is my ninth trip to Israel, I have been almost everywhere and I have seen almost everything. And so it qualifies me at least in part to be a guide. When I went with Skip Heitzig, he had already gone to Israel 38 different times. The point of the guide is to bring you to a familiar place. That's what the Holy Spirit does. In the book of Acts, the Ethiopian treasurer, when he was challenged by Philip, you'll remember he's riding along the road in Acts chapter 8. He's in his little chariot, and as he's in his little chariot, he's reading from the scroll of Isaiah. And as he's quoting from the scroll of Isaiah, Philip runs alongside the chariot and says, Do you understand what it is that you're reading? And the Ethiopian treasurer says, How can I unless some man should guide me? Same word. And Philip comes and begins to explain to him the meaning of the scroll of Isaiah. As a matter of fact, the Bible says from that place he began to tell him about Jesus. Jesus calls the Holy Spirit the Spirit of truth, and the Spirit of truth guides the believer into all truth. And the Holy Spirit leads the believer and guides the believer towards the truth. And listen carefully, if the Holy Spirit is leading us to a a place of that which is true, then the Holy Spirit is leading us away from that which is false. That's the idea. Truth, it says in Proverbs chapter 12, verse 19, truth stands the test of time. Lies are soon exposed. That's what it says in Proverbs 12, 19. Truth is consistent with reality. Truth doesn't change. Truth is connected to God's unchanging character and everlasting word. Truth is, is not made void by compromise or wrongdoing. You can't make the truth 
go away by denying it, by denying it or living in a way that is inconsistent with it. And by the way, truth gains strength under pressure. Truth doesn't change under pressure. It becomes stronger under pressure. Job is an amazing illustration that it's not simply enough to believe the right things about God. Job brings a picture of the test and the life that is tested and truth that is tested. You'll remember there's a particular moment in Job's life where he's lost his children and he's lost his goods. And the only thing God saw fit to to leave him with was his wife. And she says, Job, happy Father's Day. Now would be a good time for you to curse God and die. And he says, you don't understand what it is that you're talking about. Naked I came into the world. Naked I'm going to leave. Job reiterates a timeless truth. The Lord gives. And the Lord takes away. Do you, will you love him and appreciate him when he gives you everything that is necessary? But now will you curse him when he takes that away from you? Truth, by very definition, lines up with the life and the words of Jesus. You'll remember when Jesus presented himself to be baptized, the voice of God the Father in heaven said, quote, This is my son whom I have chosen. Listen to him in Luke chapter nine, verse thirty five. Truth has a way of making us submit to its demands. We use words like correct, factual, real, law, exact. Even in our own culture and society, when you're having a conversation with someone and they They suspect that what you're saying isn't true. They go, is that the gospel? And you go, the gospel truth. The word gospel, even in our slang, has come to represent something that is true. The Holy Spirit would inspire men and guide them in the writing of the sacred scripture and the ministry of the Holy Spirit is a ministry of guidance and a ministry of truth and a ministry of prophecy. One Bible commentator said, inspiration is the means God used to communicate the special revelation. Inspiration is a ministry of the Holy Spirit. It is a work whereby the Holy Spirit communicates divine revelation by working in the hearts of the authors, both of the Old and the New Testaments. That's true. One of the works, by the way, of guidance includes illumination. The Holy Spirit removes the blindfold over the unbeliever's eyes. It is the Holy Spirit who illuminates the mind and the heart and the truth of the gospel concerning the Lord Jesus Christ. You don't know how many times I've had people say to me, I don't believe the Bible's true. And how many times I've said, I can't convince you of the truth 
of the Bible. It is a work of the Holy Spirit. In the, fames, in the words of another famous prophet, Clint Eastwood, a man's got to know his limitations. I don't have the supernatural ability to change a person's heart or to change a person's mind. The Holy Spirit is the source of prophecy. It is the Holy Spirit who gives you the ability to understand God's Word. (laughs) Revelation and inspiration are different. Let me help you with it. Revelation is the supernatural communication of the truth to the mind or what the Bible records. Inspiration secures to the teacher or the writer, that is the Bible writer's infallibility in communicating that truth to others. In other words, there are those of you who have read the Bible and read the Bible and there are parts of the Bible that you believe, but for whatever reason, there are parts of the Bible that you reject. Let me help you with this. The next time you're talking with your mother, your father, your brother, your sister, your family, your friends, your neighbor. And the discussion goes to the topic of the Bible. And you ask them this question. What is it in the Bible that you believe? And let them tell you what it is that that they believe. And then ask the question, which are the parts that you reject? And let them tell you the parts that they reject. And then ask them the question, why do you believe the parts that you believe and why do you reject the parts that you reject? And invariably, they're going to come to this conclusion that they reject those parts that disagree with their life or their lifestyle. You see... The Bible is true. All of it is true. And if all of it is not true, I'm going to suggest to you that we have every reason to believe that none of it is true. R.C. Sproul points out the absurdity of affirming the inspiration of the Bible while denying its inerrancy. He writes, and I quote, On numerous occasions I've queried several biblical and theological scholars in the following manner. Do you maintain the inerrancy of Scripture? And they say, no. Do you believe the Bible is inspired of God? Yes. Do you think God inspires error? No. Is all of the Bible inspired by God? Yes. Is the Bible errant? No. Is it inerrant? No. At that point, I usually take an Excedrin for my Excedrin headache. I like that. So you believe that the Bible is false in certain places, but you believe that it's inspired except for the cases and the places that you disagree with, guess what? You become the measure. You become the standard of what is true and what is false. But the Lord promised that the apostles, that the Holy Spirit would guide believers into all the truth. 
And I suspect that the primary reference is to the work of the Holy Spirit in inspiring and enabling the New Testament writers to describe the truth about the mission of Jesus and the word of Jesus and the ministry of Jesus and the crucifixion of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus. And you're probably thinking, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. I thought this was going to be a teaching about the Holy Spirit. And you seem to have a whole lot to say about Jesus. Well, the reason is because the ministry of the Holy Spirit is going to point you to Jesus. The Holy Spirit instructs and teaches believers from the inspired and the inerrant scripture. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 20, John writes, But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you know all things. What things? The things about Jesus. First John chapter two, verse twenty seven. But the anointing which you have received from him abides or remains in you, and you do not need that anyone teach you, but as the same anointing teaches you concerning all things, and is true, and isn't a lie, and just as it has been taught you, you will abide in him. Here's here's the evidence of of a Spirit-filled ministry. This is the evidence of a Spirit-led ministry. The Spirit-filled ministry and the Spirit-led ministry is Christ-centered, truth-centered, and prophetic. That bears repeating. The Spirit-filled ministry, the Spirit-led ministry, is Christ-centered and truth-centered and prophetic. Look what it says at the end of verse 13. For he will not speak on his own authority. You'll note that the Holy Spirit doesn't speak on the basis of his own authority, but rather on the basis of the authority of the Father and the Son. This doesn't mean that the Holy Spirit will never speak of himself. This doesn't mean that when the scriptures tell us something about the Holy Spirit, that it isn't true. Rather, it tells us that the Holy Spirit doesn't speak apart from the Father and the Son. Or as Warren Wiersbe puts it so well, he does not manufacture a different message. The Holy Spirit doesn't manufacture a different message. But that's exactly what cults do. That's exactly what false religions do. Cults and false religions manufacture a false message. And the message can usually be summarized in this way. You are saved clearly by grace, but not grace alone. You are saved through faith, but not faith alone. You are saved by Christ, but it's not Christ alone. You're saved by grace through faith in Christ plus reading my book or going to my church or following my rules. Cults and false religions manufacture a false message from a false spirit. They'll say you can believe the Bible, but... You need to believe the Book of Mormon. You can believe the Bible, but you need to believe the Watchtower and Tract Society. You can believe the Bible, but you need to believe Mary Baker Glover Eddy's Key to Science and the Scripture. You can believe the Bible, but you also have to believe um, Scientology's Dianetics. There's always something else that they put together and they ask you to believe. But the teaching of the Holy Spirit comes from the 
same infallible source of truth. Jesus said in John 15, 15, all the things that I have heard from my father, I've made known to you. Jesus taught his disciples that everything the father has made available to him, he's made available to them. And the Holy Spirit would bring those reminders and revelations. Some theologians like to pit Peter and James and John and Paul against one another. They suggest that Paul ruined it for everyone by making theology complex or incomprehensible or by adding to the simple message of Jesus. But that can't be true. And it can't be true because of John chapter 16, verse 13, where the Bible teaches that the same Holy Spirit inspired Matthew and Mark and Luke and John and James and Peter. It's the Holy Spirit that communicates the truth found in all four Gospels, all the epistles, the entire book of Revelation. It is the Holy Spirit who is the author of the history and the doctrine in the book of Acts. Warren Wiersbe writes, it is the ministry of the Spirit to enrich us with the treasures of God's truth. He enlightens us with God's truth and enriches us with His treasures. The Word of God is a rich mine of gold and silver and precious jewels. What a joy it is to have the Spirit illuminate His Word. That's true. So how does the Holy Spirit counsel the believer? Well, the Holy Spirit reveals that sin is the problem. It is the Holy Spirit who brings to our attention that the problem is that there's something wrong with us. It is the Holy Spirit that points us to salvation and holiness as the solution. It is the work of the Holy Spirit to reveal sin and raise the standard of thinking and acting to conform with God's revelation in the Scripture. It is the Holy Spirit who brings hope. And who needs hope? Remember, I've told you over and over again, two kinds of people in the world. Italian people and people who wish they were. No, two kinds of people in the world. Those who have hope and those who need hope. Who needs hope? You know what the truth is? We all do, don't we? It's sometime in our life. Sometimes we need hope more often. People with complex problems need hope. People who have entrenched a pattern, a long standard pattern of rebellion and disobedience need hope. People who have been sold a good, a bill of goods need hope. And by that, I mean those people who have been told that there is no answer to their unique problem. There is no answer to their alcohol problem, to their drug problem, to their marriage problem, to their family problem, to their child problem. It's for those people who have been told that they have a unique and incurable circumstance and God offers no hope. It is for people who are harassed by fear. They need hope. People who have their hopes repeatedly dashed. Over and over again, they need hope. People who have tried and failed 
over and over again need hope. Older people need hope. Young people need hope. Depressed people need hope. Suicidal people need hope. People who have experienced a life-altering, life-shattering circumstance need hope. And there are people who will tell you there's no hope available to you. But Paul writes in Romans chapter 15, verse 4, For whatever things were written before were written for our learning, that we through the patience and the comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. And then Paul writes in Romans chapter 15, verse 13, Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. How do you abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit wrote the promises of hope. The Holy Spirit is the agent necessary to convince you that the promises are true. I like to think that I'm a persuasive character and that I can talk you into things. the truth is I can never talk you into believing the promises of God are true because there are powerful voices whispering in your ear that they are not true it is only the supernatural presence of the Holy Spirit knocking at the door of your heart and whispering in your ear that the Bible is true and that the promise is true and that the message of Jesus is true and no wonder It says in verse 14, He will glorify me, for He will take of what is mine and declare it to you. We see from the passage so far the need for the Holy Spirit's revelation because we need guidance. The extent of the Holy Spirit's revelation, it extends from Genesis to Revelation. And the goal of the Spirit's revelation this is what, where we find the goal. The Holy Spirit's revelation will bring into sharp focus the things of Christ. Look what Jesus says himself. He will glorify me. The Holy Spirit's revelation is to exalt the person and to exalt the work of the Holy Spirit. Now, what's the evidence that this is a spirit-filled and spirit-led church? Is Jesus being glorified? By the way, that word glorify, it means to bring substance or weight. You see, here's what we learn. Jesus doesn't act on his own. Do you remember? Jesus glorifies the Father. And now we learn something about the Spirit. The Spirit doesn't act alone. The Holy Spirit glorifies The Son. In what way does the Holy Spirit glorify the Son? In 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 14, there's this interesting passage of Scripture. In 1 Peter 4, 14, it says, If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you for the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. 
On their part, he is blasphemed, but on your part, he is glorified. What is the spirit of glory that rests upon you? I'm going to tell you it's the Holy Spirit. The counselor, the comforter, the guide, the revealer of truth, and the spirit of glory is that person who provides weight and substance to the testimony of Jesus. The ministry of Jesus is the Spirit's focus. Guy King suggests three ways in which the Holy Spirit glorifies the Lord Jesus. Number one, he wrote a book about him. Number two, he makes a believer like him. And number three, he finds a bride for him. In other words, the book is the Bible and the believer is you. The Holy Spirit makes you a believer. The Holy Spirit lifts the veil of darkness. The Holy Spirit convinces you the truth concerning Jesus. The Holy Spirit makes you born again. The Holy Spirit provides a revelation and then gives you the power to believe that that revelation is true. And then he takes the collection of all believers and he creates a bride, a constant companion for Jesus throughout eternity. Now, that might gross out some of the guys because guys just don't like to think of themselves as a bride. No, I'm a guy. I'm not a bride. Okay, let me help you then. The Bible teaches that men and women who are saved out of darkness and death are united together to be Jesus' constant companion throughout eternity. And it's the Holy Spirit who does that. And then in verse 15, it says, all things that the father has are mine. By the way, what belongs to the father? What does the father own? Everything. The Bible says God created the heavens and the earth. The Bible says he created all things in the fullness thereof. Is there anything? Is there anything that exists? that falls outside of the purview of the ownership of God? The answer is no. Listen to what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying that everything that belongs to the Father now belongs to Him. All that the Father has is mine. The Father created you. The Father created you for Himself. And the Father created you to be shared with the Son. Therefore, I said that He will take of mine and declare it to you. The word declare is the key word in the passage. It's a word that means to openly reveal. As a matter of fact, there is a word that's used in theology a lot. It's called exegesis. 
When Jesus walked on the earth, he was the living exegesis of the Father. In other words, Jesus declares the Father. He declares the will of the Father. He declares the word of the Father. He declares the character of the Father. It was the point and the purpose of the ministry of Jesus to reveal the truth about the Father. And now Jesus is saying that the Spirit is the exegesis of the Son. It is the Holy Spirit who declares the Son, reveals the Son, reveals the will of the Son and the word of the Son. He is the the living exegesis of the Son. John Phillips writes, all that the Father was has been interpreted by the Son. All that the Son was would be interpreted by the Spirit. The Lord Jesus taught his disciples to think great thoughts about the Father. The Holy Spirit is here to teach us great thoughts about His Son. If anything, calling itself Christian teaching makes its approach to us and does not exalt and glorify the Lord Jesus Christ, it is not of the Holy Spirit. So, listen carefully. If it's the Holy Spirit's job, in part, to glorify Jesus, to reveal Jesus, to proclaim Jesus. Then yours is a spirit-led and a spirit-filled ministry when you glorify Jesus and reveal Jesus and proclaim Jesus. I had the privilege of meeting Alan Redpath once in my life. He used to say that, quote, The Holy Spirit's great task is to carry on the work for which Jesus sacrificed his throne and his life, the redemption of fallen humanity. The Holy Spirit's an evangelist. George Orwell wrote, in a time of deceit, telling the truth becomes a revolutionary act. In a time of deceit, telling the truth becomes a revolutionary act. The truth? Jesus has gone to prepare a place for us, and the Holy Spirit has come to prepare us for that place. Are you prepared? Are you prepared? Remember what Jonathan Edwards said? The true ministry of the Holy Spirit will exalt the true Jesus, will oppose the interests of Satan, will point people to the Scripture, will elevate the truth, and will result in love for God and love for each other. And the truth is, if your life doesn't exalt Jesus, if you're not opposed to the things that interest Satan, if you're not pointing people to the Scripture, if you don't elevate the truth, and if your life isn't Marked with a conspicuous presence of joy, peace, and love for God, and love for the person sitting right next to you, and in back of you, and in front of you, then maybe you need to question the preparation. 
You know, one of the marks of a cult and false religions is that they will offer you the wrong Jesus. They'll offer you the wrong view of salvation. They'll offer you the wrong view of sin. They'll offer you the wrong view of the scriptures. And you know what else they'll do? They cut you off from the truth. Cults will cause you to love yourself first and then be suspicious of the outsider until even the people you love become the outsiders. In the end, false religion tries to take away hope forever. The false religion asks you to say goodbye to hope. But there was never a time, there's never been a time, there's never been a time where we need hope more than we need it right now. So I'm going to pray for you. Heavenly Father, I pray for that person who needs to invite hope to stay. Lord, we're always faced with a choice. Say hello to the truth or say goodbye to the truth. Say hello to hope or to say goodbye to hope. Lord, we know that we live in a world where there is an enemy who hates us, who wants to see us estranged from you forever and ever. But the whole point of the gospel was to send Jesus to live the life that we couldn't live, to die on the cross for our sin and to rise from the dead. And Lord, we know that the Holy Spirit has given us a message. And the message is, if we will believe that God sent Jesus to die for our sin and rise from the dead, that the real God of heaven would come inside of us and make his home inside of us, wash us and cleanse us and make everything that has been wrong right. Lord, I pray that there might be someone here today who needs to say hello to hope. Hello to truth. Hello to forgiveness. Hello to redemption. Hello to grace. Lord, I pray that they would pray that simple prayer, inviting Jesus into their life. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would give them the ability to understand and believe the promise of God. And if that's you, I want you to know that there are going to be men and women who are available to pray with you as soon as we conclude our service. Even though things are going to be busy, even though we're going to be moving chairs, even though life is going to seem to go on, make sure that you conduct that holy business with God and make sure that you come up and tell someone what it is that you've done. We'd love to pray with you. Let's stand.